0: today on Commitment to Truth. We are living epistles. When you go through marital problems and your marriage comes out better, when you go through death and loss, When you're ill-treated on the job and it doesn't move you, but there's still a pep in your step, smile on your face, the joy of the Lord, and everybody around you begins to see the glory of God displayed through you, it proves that you are who you say you are, and He is who He promises to be.
1: Welcome to Commitment to Truth, the teaching ministry of Commitment Church, a place for all nations. Thank you so much for spending time with us today. Each week, Pastor Cedric Brown and the pastoral team at Commitment Church strive to draw you into a deeper relationship with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Here is Pastor Cedric, lead pastor of Commitment Church, with today's message.
0: We are ex- uh, are starting a new sermon series that I'm excited about, and it is in the book of James. <clears throat> and its title is Avoid the Drift. Avoid the Drift because... If we're honest with ourselves, it is very easy to drift, especially with all the noise that we are hearing around us today on the news and are honestly around the kitchen table, right? Uh, uh, At the coffee pot at work, there's the noise that can easily cause us to uh, disengage with Christ and ultimately engage with the things of this world. So, that being said, what is the purpose of this uh, sermon series? The purpose of this sermon series, as you see here, is, a, is our book study on, the, on James. And it's to encourage the body of Christ not to succumb to the current scattering of the church by avoiding a spiritual drift that leads to all forms of problems. Uh, why was James written uh, James is written, first of all, uh, the author of James is the Apostle James, the half-brother of Jesus. And it was written somewhere between A.D. 45 and 48, potentially after the council meeting in Jerusalem. Uh, that's noted in chapter 15 of the book of Acts. Again, why was James written? Here's a couple of bullet points just to help you uh, gather your thoughts as we navigate the book of James. It is thought when the church began to scatter throughout Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, remember first by force, persecution, right? Uh, and later by the Holy Spirit's leading, people began to drift spiritually. Even due to rapid growth of the church, the church endured many relational trials and personal temptations which caused uh, friction and it was easy to drift even today, right? You have friction then it's easy, easy to do what? Drift away. Little complications, drift away. Now, her for words, believe it or not, you'll read in the book of James, were spoken uh, the showing of partiality, the lack of self-control, which was apparent even within the church. Sounds familiar, right? Uh, nevertheless, the church needed a, this heavenly wisdom we're going to learn about and a doer of the word mentality to help navigate this new terrain, again, lest they drift. And then finally, therefore, James, listen to this. His final words in a book bearing his name is this. This is pretty profound. Let him know that the one who has turned a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from death and do what? Cover a multitude of sins. So, so he says all this stuff in James. And he said, hey, by the way, the one who says, I'm willing... To help someone stop sinning or turn them away from their sins, I'm doing a good thing. If I can help someone avoid to drift the drift, I'm doing a good thing. Makes sense. Now to help us navigate uh, through the book of James, it deals with many topics uh, to help us navigate our faith uh, in God through Christ. so we want to discover how do we apply uh, this book of James. So what I, I did was I, as I was studying the book of James, I kind of noticed, just like in a letter, let's say you're penning a letter, which the book of James is a letter to the church, you kind of say, hey, I want to talk to you about this, 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 this. And then in the in the body of the letter, that's like the introduction, the body of the letter, you then begin to roll out all of the different points of the 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 headings in which you want to discuss with a person in pen on paper so chapter one again appears to be this outline of the entire book of James so that's the way we're going to approach it we're going to look at chapter one here's point a if you would and then we're going to then look into the deeper context of the book to better answer that first point is that that's identified in chapter one make sense All right. So, again, it's about six sections within this one chapter of James to help us navigate this application in our lives. And here they are. Uh, We can endure life's trials. They're going to come. We can endure it. Number two, we all need more wisdom from above. We can't be influenced by man's position. We will be tempted, but never by God. Number five, we must develop self-control. And lastly, we must become doers of the word of God. So where's the Christ in the book of James? Listen, James 1.1 1, 1 says this from the very beginning. Bondservants of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. So right out the back, this, the, the author James is saying we are what bond servants. Of the living God and whom Christ Jesus. So if we're bond servants of Christ, we must avoid the drift. And because we are bond servants of Christ, we're bonded with Christ. It should help us do what? Avoid the drift. If we disengage with Christ, we remove the bondship, if you would, of servitude to Christ, then we're going to bond with something else. Which causes us to what? drift so we have to make sure that listen at the end of the day my goal is to serve jesus and jesus alone even before my mother my father my sister my brother because if i began to say well i'm gonna serve my children more than jesus i would do what drift i'm gonna serve my community more than jesus then i what Drift. I'm going to serve this politician more than I serve Jesus. Then I'll do what? Drift. I'm going to serve my boss more than I serve Jesus. I'm going to drift. I'm going to serve myself more than I serve Jesus. I'm going to drift. Makes sense. We can actually end there, but we won't. (laughs) So what about trials? Can you open your Bibles now to James chapter 1 verse Verses 1 through 4. And we're going to first highlight uh, and dive into uh, how do we continue to move forward and not drift during trials, because trials will come. James, a bomb servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes who are dispersed abroad. Greetings. Consider it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect results, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Just think about that. Let that just settle in your hearts and your heads today. You mean to tell me trials help me lack nothing? Yes. But what about these trials? There's about three things we need to get to real quickly about trials. Here's the first. You find in verse 2, we will have various types of trials. They will come in different shapes, forms, and fashions. Various trials. So various trials of man's fidelity, integrity, virtue, and constancy. Think about that. Your virtue, your fidelity, your integrity, your constancy in the faith will be tested. Period. Various enticements to sin. This is what trials means. Various temptations. There will be temptations whether, listen to this, it is rising from desires, like inward desires, or from outward circumstances. The trials would come from within and the trials would come from without. Various types. There'll be various types of internal temptations to sin. Also, there'll be lapses, listen to this, lapses from faith and holiness. Ever been there as a Christian? That you just, oops, I forgot I was a Christian today. (laughs) Right? Depending on the, external temptation, the internal trial, you'll forget who you are and whose you are. Various adversities, afflictions, and here's a tough one. Troubles sent by God serving to test or prove one's character and your faith and holiness. Wait a minute, you mean God will send certain things? Well, to soften that up, to soften the sovereignty of God, because that, really that's what it is, to soften it up a little bit, you could say it this way, whatever he allows to come your way. But remember, if you look back in your life, there's many things that you didn't want that showed up at your doorstep. There's relationships that you didn't want that showed up at your doorstep, right? And you cannot extract that from the sovereignty of God, that God is in full control of all things, all people, all circumstances, all the time. But remember what he also promises. He causes all things to work together for your good. Makes sense? So, so even though it happens, holiness will abound all the more, right? So these trials then will do what? Test our faith. The word testing means this in verse 2. That by which something is tried or proven. Sometimes there needs to be proof in the pudding. Do you remember uh, the story of the young man who was born blind? the, the, The young man who was born blind at birth. And the questioning was, well, apparently the parents sin. Apparently he's in sin. He says, no, no, no. The reason why this happened is so that your father in heaven may be glorified. We are living epistles. We are the proof in the pudding of the existence of a holy God. The glo- we are the glory of God personified as we live through tests and as we live through trials. When you go through marital problems and your marriage comes out better, mm-hmm. yes. right? When you go through death and loss and you come out better and you're sitting across from that, you know, uh, um, that attendant and you 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 are working through burial plots and you're working through, right? Um, Grave sites and all these different things that you that comes along with life, and they still see this peace and this joy of the Lord that oozes from your soul, it proves that you are who you say you are. When you're ill-treated on the job and it doesn't move you, but there's still a pep in your step or stride in your jive, as you would. You know, a smile on your face, the joy of the Lord, and everybody around you begins to see the glory of God displayed through you. It proves that you are who you say you are, and he is who he promises to be. These trials will test our faith. Then our testing of our, our faith should then produce this endurance uh, is found in chapter 1, verses 3-4. This endurance, which ultimately climaxes to you lack nothing. And I'm sure everyone in this room would like to lack nothing. And the promise is, is that you will lack nothing. Now let's go deeper. The word produce endurance means this, to accomplish endurance. So all of these trials that nets out to testing in you will accomplish endurance in you. There's a reason why the coach makes you run laps. To improve, to what, produce endurance during game day. There's a reason why that you watch your diet as an athlete, right? There's a reason why you go to sleep at night early enough to be vibrant for the game, right? All these things produces endurance so that you can ultimately accomplish what he has set before you, right? So, produces endurance, accomplishes endurance. It works out endurance in you. That's what testing does. It results in endurance. It fashions endurance. Listen, It renders a person fit for a thing. So think about this. So many times people want to do ministry. They want to serve others. They want to serve God. I believe God wants to use me. Guess what is inevitable? Guess what is necessary? Trials that test you that produces it. It is what it is. The word produces also means this, so that you may, it leads to, so that you may be perfect, complete. The word lacking, nothing means this, that you will ever, won't ever lag in anything, you will never lag behind in anything. You will never lag behind, you will never be inferior That's what this word lack means, or lacking. You will never be inferior. It also means to be destitute of nothing. In other words, you will never be a person destitute or desperate for anything. But it only comes about trials that will test you, that will produce something in you that only trials and testing can produce. So how then do we avoid this drift during these types of trials that I uh, described to you? Now again, remember, keep your, your thought and your finger in James chapter 1, then we're going to skip over and answer this question in James chapter 4. Again, we're looking at trials and and I'm going to give you the first three uh, ways that we can avoid the drift during trials, and then Pastor Ken's going to come next week and give you about three more of how can we avoid the drift during trials. Here's the first verses one through three. It says, "What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is the source not your pleasures that wage war in your body parts? Remember, we talked about trials start where on the inside, there inwardly." outwardly. So he's now giving some examples, all right? So conflicts, conf- relational conflicts. Anybody have those? <laughs> right? You just wake up. You have a relational conflict with yourself, <laughs> right? So, it's, so it says you lust and do not have, so you commit murder. And you are envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You do not ask, And do not receive because you act with wrong motives so that you may spend what you request on your own pleasures. You see, the first thing we must do to navigate trials is this. We must embrace the real source of conflict. Me, myself, and I. So it is. Remember, testing, trials will come. It's amazing how when someone says, Lord, I'm a praying and fast and I'm just, just lead me to my wife. He leads you to your awesome wife. And then once you get married and you're married for long enough and then you have trials, that least to testing, that gives you endurance. And some of us quit. Before we lack nothing. Or. You just wake up and you realize as you become older, I can't believe how crazy my family is. <laughs> and that's everybody's family. Got issues. It's like, wait a minute, I didn't know my mama had issues like that. She had issues ever since you were born. Or matter of fact, before you were born. But God allowed you to be born in that family. But one day we wake up and say, oh, I can't believe it. Everybody's got issues. And we think that everybody got issues but us. But what's the source of your conflict between your mother, your father, your sister, your brother, your husband, your wife, your brother in Christ, your sister in Christ? It's me. And the quicker you can get through this, the quicker, listen, you can get through this because this is how it was from the very beginning. Well, it's the woman you gave me. The first public display of conflict, relational conflict well, you know, it's her fault. And then, what did the woman say? Well, it's the serpent's fault. It's everybody else but me. But wait a minute, Eve, didn't you pick the fruit. Wait a minute, wait a minute, Adam, slow down, slow your roll. Didn't God tell you to tell her? So something happened in your relationship that she felt that she can go on and do it. Relational conflict. It's me, Adam. It's me, Eve. And that's what we have to realize. But during trials, here's the temptation. It's very easy to blame others. Shift blame. During trials, it's very easy to say, well, the reason why I'm feeling this way is because of you. The reason why we're having problems in families because you, mom, you, 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 dad, you, you know, you, you know, brother, you, sister. The reason why our church isn't well is because of you. That's the first inclination. But listen to what verse one suggests again: Is the source not your pleasures that wage war in your body parts? In your body parts means this, a member of the human body, which is very easily defined, but it also means of bodies given up to criminal interaction. In other words, I'm just going to, I have the inclination to do the wrong thing. As it were members belonging to a harlot's body, which James 4 goes on to talk about pretty much why are you cheating on me? You got another lover, meaning God and his people. And and he always talked about Israel becoming a harlot, spiritual adultery, choosing someone over God, choosing something over God, cheating on God. That's the internal inclination. God is saying no husband, no husband, no husband, love your wife, love your wife as Christ loved the church unconditionally. But no, 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 God, internally, nope, 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 you don't understand what she's not doing. I'm going to do what I want to do. We cheat on God. God says, forgive as you've been forgiven. Well, no, 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 you don't get it. You don't get how bad they treated me. On the inside, we have these conflicts. But God is saying, no, no, you don't get it. I still say, forgive as I forgiven you. Do you remember when you were a harlot towards me? Do you remember when you wanted nothing to do with me? Do you remember every single time I asked you to do something and you never do it? Show some grace. That's the conflict on the inside. That's why Luke 8.14 says this about our inner pleasures. That's connected, interesting enough, with a thorny heart. Remember the soils? The good soil, thorny soil, rocky soil. And the seed which fell on the thorns, these are the ones who have heard, and as they go on their way, they are choked by worries, riches, pleasures of this life. How I feel on the inside, and they bring no fruit to maturity. You see, embracing our trials helps us deal with the real source, and that is ourselves. Just say, God, I get it. I get it. I know why I'm going through this. You're trying to do something in me. The quicker you can shift to that heart, the more strength you get to navigate your trial and get through it and find, remember, he says he provides what? Room for escape. The more you concede to God and say, okay, God, it's me. What are you trying to do with me? Then you find the escape route. And when we deal with ourselves, our trials, the weird part about it, listen church, is when we start dealing with ourselves, our trials seems to lessen and even lose their grip on us. Because the enemy will want you and I to focus so much on what someone's doing to us or not doing for us, rather than, God, what are you trying to do in me? Number two. How can we avoid the drift during trials? We find in verse 4 and 5. You adulteresses, you see the words? You adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility towards God? Therefore, whoever wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think that the scripture says to no purpose, he jealously, see the relationship there? He jealously desires to, or desires the spirit whom he has made to dwell in us. Uh, King James Version says he he jealously longs to fellowship with the spirit that he's placed within us. In other words, his Holy Spirit lives within you and I who believe, and he wants to commune with us all the time. And when we pull away from him as a bondservant and attach to the world, he gets jealous. Like any lover would. And he's the lover of your soul. So during our trials, again, it's very easy to become even more intimate with the world. This is too hard. Let me just take the easy route. Let me just go back. This is too complicated. Ah, I'm done committing to this. Ah, I'm just done with I'm crazy. Everyone's acting. Let me just exit stage right. Yet, verse 4 warns us, you adulterous, sis, do you not know the friendship with the world is hostility towards God? Therefore, whoever wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. The word hostility means this. It's a cause of animosity towards God and enmity and this animosity towards God. Have you ever been there? We've all been there to some degree. Well, this ain't working out. I can't believe I'm in this. And then we we disconnect from God and we almost like start blaming God, have animosity towards God. It's like, wait a minute, God didn't do this. It's that sin nature of that person. That person is just acting like a sinner. It ain't God's fault. It's not God's fault that Adam and Eve chose to eat the fruit. Think about that logically. Okay, just have anything you want in this wonderful, beautiful garden, but just don't eat that tree. It ain't God's fault that they chose to eat the very fruit that he says don't eat, and he gave them everything else. Think about that logically, church. It ain't God's fault from the very beginning. But it's very easy to develop that inclination well you know i can't believe it well god said he loves me god is all-powerful god well where's god at he ain't doing it quick enough oh animosity towards god it's not god's fault but we impose that on god friendship with the world here's the world described here friendship with men who are alienated, alienated from god people who are just in opposition of god The tendency is to reattach to those friends and therefore hostile to the cause of Christ. So if you are against God, you're against Christ. You're against Christ, you're against God. Friendship with the world affairs. So the affairs of the world cannot supersede the affairs of God, no matter how passionate you are about the things of this world. And he gives us all passions But those passions cannot usurp passion towards being a bondservant of Christ. Friendship with the whole circle of earthly goods, listen to what it says, though it's frail and fleeting, they have the ability to stir desires, seduce us from God, and are obstacles to cause to the cause of Christ. Those things that we chase after, the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches that chokes the word of God. Those things that begin to manipulate us and cause us to spend more time with it are pursuing it than pursuing him whom which we should serve to the day we die. Make sense? So our close friendship with the world will always prolong our trials. And lastly, we found in verses six through seven, But he gives a greater grace. Now, here's the beautiful thing about these words, greater grace. This is grace above salvation. That's what that means. Okay? You're saved by what? Grace alone. Period. But one needs grace upon grace after you come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, right? So this is this greater grace that he gives. So he says he gives what? Greater grace, therefore... It says, God is then opposed to the proud. But he gives this greater grace to the humble. Submit therefore to God, resist the devil, and he would do what? Flee. Here's our last point for today. We must avoid being prideful. And you say, well, maybe <laughs> yeah, I'm not prideful, right? Listen. The best thing to do, again, is to admit that we all have a bit of undercurrent of pride. We we all do. You know, it could be pride in how you're such a good budgeter of the household funds. (laughs) It's like, hey, but do you realize God is the one who's giving you the wisdom, giving you the, you know, those things that you need to manage your household funds? I mean, it could be that little and that trivial that we get so prideful about, you know, I can't believe, oh, that's my kid and my children, and you could become so prideful about your children. I mean, it, the pendulum swing, Why, my, that's my husband, I can't believe, you know, and we all fall prey to that, especially if you're on social media. <laughs> Selfies is probably one of the biggest prideful gestures, right, oh, look at me right you know it, it's just it, it, it causes pride to ooze out of all of us right so again listen it's better just to wave the white flag and say you know what God I got a little pride somewhere lurking in me and, and let me just admit it let me just come clean so he can keep your heart safe because during our trials this is during our trials this is our challenge we have the prideful tendency to do things ourselves I can't wait any longer, God, so let me handle it. Anybody been there? I've been there. You know, I, Well, you know, God, you know, you say you're going to move. You, well, it's taking too long. Well, then you start manipulating people, manipulating circumstances, controlling the environment, right? Well, I can't believe they keep hurting me. They keep hurting me. They keep hurting me. So the tendency is, well, I'm going to manipulate my environment to make sure I'm what? Safe. Versus vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, I will repay. If you have an enemy, give them food, give them drink. It'll be like hippie and hot coals upon on the head. If you have an enemy, it says very easy to pray for those who treat you well, but pray for those who despitefully use you. What do you mean? Hold up. Counterculture. Being a bond-servant of Christ says you don't do what your inclinations say to do. My inclination is to protect myself. Now, am I saying that relationally you just be stupid? No, no one's, you follow me? There's wisdom in that, but you back it up and you ask God for the wisdom on how you should handle precarious situations versus I'm just going to use my intellect, my resources, my capability to handle the precarious situation versus no. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All things will be added. Acknowledge the Lord, the Lord in all of my ways and he will direct my path no matter how precarious they may be. Makes sense. So that's our challenges that our sinful nature in avoiding pride is to You know, kick in, protection mode, do it my way mode, because God, you're just taking too long, it's getting too complicated, it's getting too painful, it's getting too precarious, and and, and I got to handle this thing real quick. But verse 6 and 7, again, admonishes and says, but he gives grace, a greater grace. And he is opposed to the proud and submit to God. The word proud means this. God is opposed to the showing of oneself above others. Again, let's use the family dynamic. Let's say God has transformed your life. Now you're stuck with that family you were born in. Very easy to begin to become spiritually snooty. Well, I got the answer. What are they tripping off of? I can't believe it. Oh, they all need Jesus. <laughs> I can't believe it. They say they're Christian. They're not serious. They're not calling. What are they doing? Right? We just, we get all snippy and snooty, showing oneself above others. I can't the whole all oh, people in my job are sinners. I can't believe it. <laughs> Right. And we, we'll go in so snooty and snubbish, showing oneself above others. It also means prominently, being prominently above others doesn't mean that you, how do I word it? If God has given you authority that you, you dumb yourself down, there, there's a gracious way to walk in the authority that he's given you. There's a gracious way to do it. It also means a presumptuous estimate of one's means in marriage. So we could be a little bit presumptuous of ourselves thinking that we're better than we really are. Despising others or even treating them with contempt. Lastly, just being haughty. Stuck up is probably like a more relative term. The word submit to God means this, to subject oneself to God, to submit one's control. Submit therefore to God, resist the devil and he will flee. We can't resist until we submit, it's impossible. To yield to one's advice, in other words, God will give you godly counsel to others. God will give you counsel in his word. Submit to it. Yield to it. Don't fight it. Yield to what is written. Last definition of the word submit means is a voluntary attitude of giving in, cooperating, assuming responsibility. goes back to me. Submit to God, assume responsibility to God. I have responsibility, and it's God's responsibility. Resist the devil, then he'll flee. It's God's responsibility to deliver us, not ourselves. But we do have a responsibility to maintain. Our bond-servant relationship to God, at any cost, and then that frees God up to do what God does in our time of need. Amen. Embrace the real source of conflict. Can we say me? Let's say it again. Round three. One, two, three. I know that's painful. It's quite painful, especially if you're in a painful situation to say, wait a minute, what about me? Right? And and we need to be men and women who avoid becoming too intimate with the world. We live in it, but we can't be of it. Just as simple as that. And we cannot become men and women who are prideful. Admit that there's a bit of pride in all of us. There's a seed of pride in all of us. All it needs is the right temperature, seeding, seed and soil, and it'll emerge very bountifully in our lives. But he's opposed to our pride. But he gives his greater grace to those who maintain the spirit of humility. Amen. Hello, this is Cedric Brown, your teacher on Commitment to Truth. I would like to personally thank you so much for tuning in week after week to listen here on this station. My prayer is that our time together is encouraging and strengthening you in your personal walk with our Lord Jesus Christ. Now listen, I'm not going to assume that all of you know this Christ that I speak about week after week. And if you don't, and this is you, my prayer is that you are being inspired to know Him personally through commitment to truth. But if you want to invite this Christ into your life right now, would you like to please pray with me? It's just a short prayer. It goes like this. Just say, Jesus, I acknowledge today that I am a sinner and I've sinned against you. But I believe that you came to die for me. You were buried for me and you rose again from the grave just for me. Jesus, I ask you to come into my life to be my Lord and my risen savior. And I surrender my life completely to you until I see you face to face. Jesus, would you you please empower me through your Holy Spirit to live the rest of my life for your glory and for the good of others. In your name I pray, Jesus. Amen. So if you prayed this prayer or if you need help finding a local Christ-centered and Bible-teaching church, please email me at info at truth.org. Once again, that is info at org. And lastly today, could you please do two things for me, all of you? Number one, could you spread the word about commitment to truth to your friends, your family, and even your enemies? We all could learn, right? And secondly, please email me at info at commitmenttotruth to let me know how this ministry is impacting your life. Once again, that is info at truth.org. I would love to hear from you. May God bless you and your family and have a great day.
1: Thank you again for listening to our latest sermon series from Commitment to Truth, the teaching ministry of Commitment Church, a place for all nations. If you want to listen to the previous messages in this series or if you want to hear messages from other series, visit Commitment Church on YouTube or Pastor Cedric Brown on Spotify,